Hello and welcome to World Shop, the podcast where we tell stories for an episode. Cody, I hate you, and my name is Jordan. I, I don't feel like I've done anything to deserve that. You gave me a look, so yeah. many looks. Yeah, I gave you looks because you were acting weird. Because I, I was thinking of how I was going to do the intro. I understand. I'm, I'm glad you got your intro. I'm glad you feel good about your intro. I don't. I don't. Let's try that again. Hello. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, Cody, as per usual, how are you doing and what have you been up to recently? I'm doing really good. Feeling very good today. Had a had a very fun day today. Also doing great because my wife just walked in the room and is awkwardly trying to not make a ton of noise and now is dancing. Good news, everybody. My wife's microphone is off, so you won't hear her the whole time we're recording. Um, I also need to make sure I unplug the correct microphone. Yep, I did. We're good. All right. So, Cody, so, how are you doing? What have you been up to? Jordan, here's the important thing about how I'm doing. I watched a movie recently that I love. I actually watched a few movies recently, and some of them are going to go on a recommendation show, which we'll get to later. Okay, real quick. This is this is just I'm curious. Have you seen Beverly Hills Cop? Mm, like the old Beverly Hills Cop? The one with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I barely remember it because I was young when I saw it. Okay. That's fine. Anyways. Not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is, unfortunately, a Tarantino movie. But it's Jackie Brown. And I love the movie Jackie Brown. And I saw it a long time ago, like when I was probably too young, probably like 16. I guess that's not that young. But anyways, um, I found it at a used like DVD shop, bought it. I knew it was Tarantino. I like Tarantino. I know you don't. But watched it and I loved it. And I just recently watched it again. And boy, do I remember why I love that movie. Um, It's fun to watch a movie about people who are like decidedly middle-aged and they don't try to make them not middle-aged. Like there's a guy who's like 50 and he acts like he's 50 and has that perspective as a character. And I'm like, man, I actually really enjoy this. And like the, um, the like female lead of the movie, Jackie Brown, right? Yeah. Um, She's supposed to be like in her mid forties, and she like looks like she's in her mid forties. Look, Greer, look at this. Right? Mm, is it? Wow, she looks so much different. Anyways, continue. But anyways, yeah, it's just a movie that I I love. Like Pam Greer as Jackie Brown is fantastic as a character, um, and also Robert Frost at our Forrester. Robert Forrester. Say Robert Frost is, is in a movie. What? No, Robert <sighs> Forrester is great in this movie. I love him. He has an amazing face. And just like all of the acting is so subtle from both of those characters. And that's, I think, what I mean about them acting their age is they don't have big, huge emotional moments. They're not exploding with love for each other. It's kind of a romance between these two characters, but they're both like adults and they act like it. Yeah. So they're not like, oh, I love you. And then I, you, but it's like, Jackie Brown kind of screws over Robert Forrester. And at the end, she's like, I'm sorry I used you. And he's like, I can't blame you for the choices that I made. He's like, I I knew what you were doing and I helped you because that's what I wanted to do. He's like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you bitch. He's like, no. He's like, I knew what was going on. I'm not stupid. I did what I thought was right. I'm like, that's I like these characters. Um, There is a lot of foot stuff, which I did not yes. know. Tarantino had a foot thing. And then I found out recently. And That's then I like started the watching. The biggest thing about him is that he has a huge foot thing. There is 
a lot of foot a stuff in the movie. A lot of foot stuff in all of his movies. Watch his movies. Yeah, there's to see like how much foot stuff is in it, dude. There's like a sequence where someone's like drinking uh tequila sunrise in like a crappy apartment, and this woman's like laying on the couch rubbing her toe on his cup, and I'm like, don't make, don't make well, that I, sound. Don't make. I'm gonna. I would listen to that sound. Don't make that sound. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't drink that tequila sunrise anymore. That would be. That's in the trash now. It's in the trash. Um, but also I. Robert De Niro's in the movie and they didn't use him for anything <laughs> which I was talking to my brother about this and I'm like I don't know if that was like Tarantino trying to high road um Robert De Niro by casting him in his movie as like a useless piece of garbage but he doesn't get to act much he's not a cool character he's like a loser who's in the background of every scene sucking at everything that he does and that's that's his character. They're just like De Niro. We need you to be in this. He's like, do I need to do like a really intense criminal? Like, no. Actually, you need to be like a a failure of a criminal who no one respects or likes. He's like, oh, am I gonna get to have like a monologue about like? No, you're not gonna have a lot of lines. Like, oh, so I just show up for like a day and I'll film all my scenes. Like, no, we're gonna need you to be there a lot. Do I get to wear cool clothes? No, actually, you have to wear a really bad mustache and ugly clothes the whole time. Jeez. Yeah. Like, okay, he's expensive, right? Like, why Why did you cast him in this? But, uh, yeah, no, so, Jackie Brown. If you ever want to give Tarantino a chance again, it's a good one to start with. Uh, maybe, I don't, like, you know, you know my feelings on Tarantino, but, like, you know, this, I do. that movie's a little I do. Bit, that movie's a little bit different, you just really don't have to rehash my thoughts, so. Well, let me, let me be I'm totally honest with you. But, okay, anyways, you're about to ruin this. It suffers from every single problem you have brought up so oh, didn't I know that. that's a thing yeah yeah but i still love it anyways how are you have, have you been doing what you been up to what you only talked for a few minutes what do you want me to talk about more the problem is okay so there's three movies I, I desperately want to talk to you about what movies? so but what? you, you well, don't I have can't. to go into I, details it's Oh, well, no, yeah, no, no. The thing is, I can't yeah. because these are recommendations. Like two of them I watched recently and was like, oh, I forgot how good these were. Um, so, well, one of them I just saw recently for the first time and it's great, but that's recommendation stuff. So that's for a okay. later day. So, yeah, I'll talk. So um, I might sound a little dead right now and I might be a little dead right now because um, with getting a new job and moving to um, a different state, um, becomes a lot of stress because there's so many freaking moving parts. I have been sleeping well because I have been waking up pretty much every hour um, freaking out about what I have to do next. So um, may or may not be having the worst time of my life, even though I'm in a happy point. I'm tired, Cody. I'm a broken man. I'm a shell of my I, I do. Self. On that note, I have a solid piece of advice for anybody. If anyone's considering a career change... Um, it, you know, it can be a really positive thing. It's great if your career change results in you staying in an area that has the same cost of living, but has a pay increase and you're not planning on moving. That's optimal. <laughs> However, Jordan, I believe that's not your experience, correct? <laughs> I hate your soul. <laughs> you look so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, Cody, buddy, I'm so tired. I, I, and also the volume is going to change because I actually put the mic near my face, but I am so tired 
and just so defeated. And I'm like, I just quit my old job. Like, I have one day left, which is tomorrow. And they keep expecting all the stuff from me. And I'm like, you're going to get what you're going to get because this stuff is your responsibility, not mine. I finish the stuff I'm supposed to do. Don't give me new projects to work on the day before I leave. Stop it. Yeah, I I just like handed in my stuff and uh, my office manager called me and she was like, hey, are you going to be in tomorrow? And I'm like, no. I'm not. Like, you need anything? Call me. It's like I'm going going to spend time cleaning the mouse poop out of the corner of my desk because I moved one of my like file organizers. And there's just a ton of mouse poop back there. I was like, man, I love this place. What what you do, Jordan? In that case, is you put it back and then you leave. <laughs> yeah, but I also am the kind who doesn't want the um, person who comes in after me to um, see like how awful things are. I want them to like have the illusion that things are okay. Oh, wait, I have to tell you my favorite joke that I came up with in my process of leaving a job. Um, I had a laptop I was using for work, and it was like my company's laptop and their policy was you could use it for personal computing as long as you're not doing anything nefarious with it. Right. And you didn't break it, basically. Um, So I formatted that computer and it felt like I was shooting my dog in the head. Because it's like, this is the laptop that I've had, and I've done so much work on it. It's been like you my best old friend yell- laptop. You old yellered your laptop. And then I just old yellered that laptop. Just what? like, boom, and he dead. Was smi- <laughs> guys, he was smiling the entire time he talked about shooting a dog in the head. Like, that's that's the co-host I have, where he had a big old... When he said the words, I felt like I was shooting my dog in the head, he had a big old smile on his face. And that is terrifying to be on the other end of the computer watching you say the lines. It felt like shooting my dog in the head with a smile on your face. Are you sure it's okay for me to do like a live recording with you? Because I'm kind of terrified of you right now. I'm feeling so good right now. I'm feeling so scared that like my co-host is going to freaking murder me in his basement and dismember me. I just, I put all my files on this. And then burnt everything. <laughs> Literally, he actually had a torch and he was burning stuff. Anyways, what I've I'm yeah. tired, so I'm saying stupid stuff. So what I've been doing recently is um being depressed. Okay, now so on to the show. Okay. I've been watching we're gonna talk about it later, but I've been watching Castlevania. I have words and comments uh, about it. I think it's fine. I'm fine with it. I liked what I saw, but there's also huge major complaints that I have, but I think it's fine. I think Trevor right now because I'm the greatest thing ever. So you're not going to tell me that otherwise. I would say is a struggle that. Okay. I think it's kind of become a new format, like kind of since game of Thrones. And I know they weren't the first ones to do this, but I think this is what made it hugely popular. Like stories told from multiple point of view characters where like you basically have five main characters or 10, you know, like in game of Thrones, Jon Snow is not the main character. Neither is, Bran or Daenerys or Tyrion or well you know not Robert or Ned either but like but you get chapters from all their points of view right and this happened with Game of Thrones too where I'd be reading the book and I'd get to like the Sansa chapter and I'd be like uh like all right Sansa's upset she's kidnapped everything sucks okay like can I get to Tyrion being fun can I get to Danny being a fascist? And so, you know, it just like, I think that happened with Castlevania is that they had like this, like trio of fun characters. And then and they then made they, 50 others. Yeah. Then they made a ton of them and they put them all over the place. 
And they're like, don't you love all these characters? And I'm like, no, I liked the trio of characters that went on adventures. And I still do. But they got all these other people. And I don't care about them two vampires that one of them's a scholar and one of them's a warrior. And they're like off fighting. A wa- I, I, I don't that's, know what that's, they're doing. That, the part where they were talking about their whole deal is the part where I fell asleep. Because I remember I texted you and said, I've, it's dreadfully boring at times. And I literally fell asleep during that. Well, and the thing is, like, they're kind of cute, and I like what they are. Like, the the relationship's kind of fun, because it's like one of them's like a warrior, and the other one's a scholar, and it's like, oh, look, they're like the odd couple, right? But I'm also, I, I don't know where they are, I don't know who they're fighting, and I don't know why. And I, they've only, they've only said like five lines altogether, so I don't care. And I just, I don't, I don't care about them. And then, like, every time we go back to, like, Carmilla, I'm just like, are you still around? <laughs> like, okay. And they just keep adding more. It's like every season, they're like, well, we need seven more characters, right? Like, stop. Too many. Stop. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted you. No, that's fine. Like, really, that's just... How, what episode are you on so I don't spoil anything? Ooh, I am on episode five. I'm halfway through episode five. Okay. Um, what's happening right now? Um, well, I should be able to answer that better than I can. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't mean it to disparage. And, like, if someone really loves um Castlevania, I don't mean it to disparage. But it can be dreadfully boring at times. Like, there was a conversation with the two um um vampires, the lovers, who are off in, like, the East or whatever fighting. And that was so boring. It's just like, I get what you're saying, but this is so boring. And then they did a big fight scene. And then um, there was a conversation between Lenore and Carmela that is so dreadfully boring. And it's like, guys. And that's, that's the thing. Okay. So, I I mean, comparing it to Game of Thrones, and this is the last thing I'll say before we go, go to the show. But, like, comparing it to Game of Thrones, I think, like, in anime and animation, like, I you expect, like, something to be happening. Like, there to be some flavor, to be something flashy, because it's a drawn meeting. You expect something to be happening. And, like, but, like, with the Game of Thrones, I, I feel like having those long, drawn-out conversations, like, is more acceptable because it's live action. Because it's, like, it, it's more realistic to see two characters just standing there talking to each other rather than in a flashy anime that, like, does fight in action scenes very well. I just find I just find it like very weird that like freaking Castlevania just has these dreadfully like slow moments where it's like we just have this awesome fight scene. We have like interesting stuff we could be talking about. Well, we're talking about how we're kind of tired of being vampire slayers or sorry, vampire warriors. And it's just like I don't I don't care. It's like I get it. You could do this over, but th- that's the other thing. You could do this over the course of the series rather than dumping all of that conversation in one episode you could have shown that they were like tired of being vampire warriors in the last season and then like now because of that whole big fight that's become a big thing but they literally just dumped that on you in this long like 10 minute conversation it's like i want anything else to be happening and it just feels like they do action back scene to long like drawn out talk about like philosophy to action back scene to long drawn out talk and it's like okay it's like make up your mind what do you want to be do you want to be an insightful anime or do you want to be the thing where you see someone literally slap someone's head off well and i think that oh man i also watched birdman recently also an excellent movie but um unrelated 
mo- I like movies that are really slow and where even if there's not necessarily a lot of dialogue, there's long spaces of almost no action, even in an action movie, like yeah. still kind of like quiet moments. But I think that's because that's where your actors can shine, right? Like, if you have a good actor that can portray a lot in just, like, expressions on their face or slight differences in the way they emote, like, you can get so much meat out of those types of scenes. And I love them. They're great. The problem is with anime, frequently, when you have a conversation like that, it's basically like reading a comic book. Um, because like the characters are basically standing still and frequently you're getting just mouth movement. Yeah. And it's just, it's literally like a mouth going beep, 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 beep. And that's the animation. Yep. So it's really boring and I'm sure it's like efficient, right? Because you basically draw a still image and then just draw the mouth wiggling. And I'm not disparaging that, but it does mean that a lot of times those seeds do drag, especially when it's like the setting is a chair and a tent and it's like yeah not a lot going on here and like not a lot of interest i don't know it just seems like the fight scene and i don't want to swallow but it seems like some of the fight scenes are disconnected and like i i kind of like the idea of some of them because they feel like something you would have in in the video game they feel like if oh we have like a vampire someone who can do this type of power it feels like we're seeing things that you would see in a video game yeah and that's fine but there's time there were times in the show where it's just like i don't know like you didn't even name this vampire that's fighting you didn't really set this up to be a threat like in season three the whole big like first of all i watched the recap and now i understand why it happened but the whole big fight between isaac and the wizard who was like sending like um like zombie bodies at him like that whole thing was a thing it was like i didn't know who that wizard was or really why they were fighting until i i like watched the recap and they're like oh he was fighting because he wanted to get control of the mirror so that he could jump to places and like use the teleportation power of the mirror it's like makes sense that's really cool but they didn't really even set that up and it was just like this old guy flinging zombie bodies and it's just like i don't care yeah Oh, no, I I totally agree. And I would say that there are definitely parts of the show that feel like, yeah, clearly this is the video game part and they're kind of separate. I will say there's times when it's done really well. And I actually mentioned this to you is the initial like in the first episode, the fight scenes with Trevor and Saifa are great. Because they're developing the characters while they're yeah. doing the fights. Saifa's freaking... Also, Saifa is one of the best, like, female leads that I've seen in a while. She's real good. Yeah. Yeah. And their relationship is really good. And everything about those and, two characters works great. Well, the, and then they pan away and the show sucks. Yeah, but... And then the thing that I also like is that we never, like, actually saw, like, a definite start in, like, definite parts of the relationship. They just world built the relationship where like you see them being friendly like like sleeping in the same bed and like looking for like you see this and it's built up we didn't ever actually see it's like hey i like you i like you too and they're like the, we actually didn't even see them do like the first kiss on screen i don't even think we've seen them kiss no. like no, and no I'm well no you definitely that. have uh, like yeah, i'm maybe. pretty sure they've had sex but i mean um, they, they they i don't think they've shown sex they've shown them waking up together in the same bed because he makes a comment about her cold feet but they never showed them I don't remember. sex but I, I would, um, 
I don't care to argue that point. I don't know. <laughs> I thought they did, but I, I mean, don't. I know that doesn't I'm just matter. Tell you, I know. <laughs> um, but um, no, I agree that that relationship is extremely well done because they don't do the stupid thing where the two characters are just like pining after each other and not doing anything about it, like forever, just like oh her eyes, and then I have to act all weird, and it's like they just don't do that. They're just like, well, we're in love now. And I'm like, it's kind of refreshing to actually see people have to make a relationship work rather than, you know what I yeah. mean? It's like a part of the relationship that's underwritten in anything is the part where you're in a relationship making that happen. I would say notably a show that almost did that was um, Rebels, um, Star Wars Rebels. I thought that the two like adult characters in the show were just like low key in a relationship yeah. and was just like. This is every day. And they weren't. <laughs> and it was like, weirdly, they weren't. <laughs> because they acted like they were, like, in a very, like, comfortable relationship. And then it was, like, later on down the line, they had to do the pining and staring and then yeah. being in a relationship and yeah. all that. And I'm like, well, no, it was cooler when it was just kind of like, they didn't need to make a show of it. They were just like, yeah, we're in a relationship, you know? Know. But anyways, I, I, I like everything that's happening with Trevor and Saifa. I really don't care about anybody else. Um, There's some cool stuff with Isaac that happens. But like, really, it is just a lot of boring conversations that really don't lead me to anything. The stuff with Isaac, I'm like almost interested in. Yeah, like if he's they a would very interesting it. character. And then they just like just completely like crap out on it. Like in so many different ways. Yeah, there's like not enough of it. He's just like standing there talking about philosophy to a monster. And I'm like. Okay, this is weird, and I'm into it. Oh, I couldn't but stop staring at the monster's teeth. You kind of either need to do it or teeth. not do it. Like I kept looking at the monster's teeth because he has like the normal teeth, and there's like a line that goes down from each of them. And I was like, "How does that work? Does his gums like hold on to the teeth, or like when he like chews them, so just like pull pull outwards? Just, that doesn't look practical. That just doesn't look practical. I just don't understand how your Who teeth knows? work. Anyways, with that, Cody, is it time to get into our show? <laughs> Okay, it could be time to get Sorry, into the show. No, I'm tired, and I don't want to have to edit 50 minutes of Castlevania talk. Because <laughs> we're, go yeah, we're going to do this again later, is all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally, why I didn't want to, like, go into death, but of course I did, because screw Castlevania. Anyways, Cody, so, <laughs> last week, do you remember what happened? And I'll, if you don't, I'll quickly go through it. Well, two weeks ago. They chilling in the hospital, right? No, and then something did happen. So, oh, they met those creepy doctors. They met creepy doctors that immediately gave me red alert vibes. <laughs> they were just like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yes. And then... Um, I, I got this, Cody. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, they were chilling in the hospital doing like the investigation portion of the whole monster hunt. And they met Dr. Merritt, who was Rachel's previous doctor. And apparently gave you creepy vibes i wasn't a hundred i mean i was kind of going for creepy vibes but i wasn't a hundred percent going for creepy vibes i think this is maybe just telling something about me that i find doctors yeah. scary so i mean you're not wrong but you're also not right but you're also not wrong but um then they've talked to the nurse sarah who kind of gave them another perspective on the whole situation and then they went to discuss when they got back nate decided that they're going to stay at the hospital to watch over rachel because they were afraid that um you know the anomaly could strike at night and possibly hurt their mother so they stayed at night and that's when the main character danny was supposed to keep watch at night but he falls asleep and then 
ends up hearing a weird, creepy voice in his sleep that's telling him to just let go. Yeah, that was and that was like the part that I really liked. Yeah, that yeah. was really good. And I literally start off exactly where that ended. So we're in Danny's like little dreamscape as he's hearing this cre- creepy, well, this sorry, calming and smooth voice talk to him in the pitch black nothingness of his paralytic nightmare. Anyways, this is chapter six, Death Butterflies. Just let go. The words clawed at me as I hung there in the pitch black nothing of the dreamscape I found myself in. I felt a calming warmth come from the distance and I tried to open my eyes to see what could possibly be there, but my eyes remained remained nailed shut and I remained in darkness. Relax, it's okay. Your struggles and pain will melt away. Just let go of the pain that held you tight for all these years. There is no shame in giving in. No shame in giving up. The warm voice said again. Suddenly, the memories of pain and hard times came flashing through my mind. I saw all the times my parents made me feel like I was worthless, all the times I was left out in school, all the times I was bullied and picked on for being different, and all the times I felt alone and empty. In my adult years, I had held on to the thought that life is a struggle for everyone, not just me. Despite the struggle, there was something to live for, something driving me to push forward every day. I kept telling myself that the pain and loneliness I felt was nothing, that I would climb out of my hole and be okay in the end. Was that really ever the case? Did I ever climb out of my hole or reach the light at the end of the tunnel? Or was I in a new tunnel that was just lighted from above? Nothing really did get better, did it? The flashes continued. I saw my struggles through life. Unlike my brother who just glided through school and became a rich and famous hotshot, I constantly flailed through everything I did. My parents told me I was smart and capable, but at every corner I failed and had to put in ex- had to put in the extra effort on a near constant basis. I was always wrestling through the things that they and my brother told me were easy, always having to push so hard just to make it through the daily hurdles. They treated me like the chosen one in a fantasy film, but I was not that. At my core, I was a failure who was just faking their way through the motions that made other people think I was special. I was nothing. That was shown through my college life, my social life, and my professional life. I barely made it through school with relatively good grades compared to the others who weren't willing to throw everything away to make it through. I didn't have many friends, and when things got rough, no one really stuck around. I had nothing to lean on, nothing to return to. Nothing ever came from all that work. I didn't end up breaking into the tech world like my brother, and in the end, I didn't even really make a difference. None of the work I ended up doing actually mattered. They were all side jobs for companies that were never going to make a difference. Even with that idea, I could barely hold down a job, and when I did finally give up at my place of employment, no one missed me and there was nothing left waiting for me. No one wanted me to work for them because at the end of the day, I was just a try-hard failure who struggled through and never really had any real skill or real meaning. I had nowhere left to go, so I ran away. It wasn't out of nobility of finding myself or any of that bullshit you hear on TV. It was because I was nothing. I meant nothing. And I would always be nothing. I came back to Westonville to scrape together what little I had left, but by the time I made it back, there was nothing waiting for me. I was too late. 
My parents had replaced me, and though I didn't create the doppelganger, it was a result of every failure I had produced. It was because of me that my parents' lives ended with the doppelganger. It wasn't a doppelganger who destroyed my life. It was me. Everything that happened up to now was my own doing. That's right. I see you are in pain. You don't need to feel that pain anymore. Just let go. Find peace in yourself. There is nothing left in this world for you. Take the step and fall into my arms. I will protect you. I won't let you feel pain anymore. The sweet voice said again. It was right. There was nothing left for me. I have failed so many times. It was time to give up. Give in. Throw in the towel. There was nothing left in this life that I needed. I had tried. I had failed. It was time to give up and run away like I always did. Even now in this weird life I found myself in, working with the anomaly hunters and trying to protect Westonville, it was the same story. I thought things started off good. I helped save the time shift's goat Lambert, but that was dumb luck. Due to my driving, we got into an accident that almost led to me and my partner almost being erased from time. You could barely call that a success, and right now, I have failed again. I had one duty, to stay awake and watch after my partner's mom, and I fell asleep. I couldn't even do the easiest of jobs. That's right. I was here because I wanted to help my partner. They were going through a lot, and I just wanted to do right by them. Nate. I didn't want to fail Nate. What the hell? Why was I just letting some creepy voice in a pitch black nothing make me feel like I was worthless when I had work to do? How could I simply ignore that there was something to go back to, something I had let the voice in my own self-deprecation drown out? I did have something worth living for, something worth struggling for, something worth the effort and the fight. That something was No Name and Nate. Without question, Alistair, the fearless leader of No Name, had given me a place to stay. He saw in me what others did not, and despite having absolutely zero experience, he trusted me to do a job that would save many people. He trusted me. So up until now, I had been working to prove that his trust was well placed. Then there was Nate. In my life, the few friends I had always came and gone rather quickly. It was always up to me to make sure those bonds stayed intact. But despite trying so hard, these bonds always broke and fell away. No one from my life in Colorado remained, but then there was Nate. We were paired together on a quick job, and ever since then, haven't left each other's side. I trusted Nate and felt like they trusted me. I found an air of loyalty from Nate. Whenever I needed them, they were there. Whenever they needed me, I knew I would always be there in return. They didn't just let me hold tight to the bonds of friendship, but they constantly tossed me a line, constantly went out of their way to be my friend and my partner. Nate cared about me, despite trying to play the tough guy card from time to time. In that moment, I realized I deeply cared about them too. Nate was the only friend I have ever felt like I could rely on, so why was I thinking about giving up on them so easily? It all came flooding back to me like a tsunami hitting a small island shore. I realized that the voice was just holding me hostage in the pitch black so I would forget about what actually mattered. I shut out the voice and focused on where I was. I knew we were in the middle of a pitch black room at an extended care hospital making sure an anomaly didn't hurt any more people. I had a duty to help my friend. I wasn't going to give up this easily. 
Nate trusted me enough to let me in their life and to let me be a part of this thing that weighed so heavily on their heart. I wasn't just going to throw that away. Nate and No Name were what I had always been looking for, a reason to push forward every day despite the struggles. Forget the pain. It was well past time I paved my own path without worrying about the failures of yesterday. Don't fight. Tomorrow will be the same as yesterday. It's easier to let go rather than pushing through miles of thorns. Just let go, Daniel. The voice said again. You know what? Fuck you! I said with an intensity and anger that would have made Nate proud. I have way too much shit I need to do. There is no time to just throw in the towel and call it quits. I am done just giving up when things get hard, I yelled. My voice smashed through the darkness, shattering the calm, warm silence that had enveloped me. I was finally out of the paralytic nightmare. Finally, it was time to come back to reality and do my job. My eyes snapped open, and I shot up from my sleep. I heard Nate snap awake from across the room, but that wasn't the most important matter at the moment. In front of me... A large blue butterfly floated above where Rachel's bed was. Its brilliant blue wings glowed amongst the dark room. It frantically flapped its wings, turned, and quickly flew out the door and out of sight. What? What the hell was that? Nate said in a drowsy panic. I think that was our anomaly, I said. It came to me in my sleep, trying to convince me to stop living. I, I think that's what's been causing the suicides, I said, sitting up more. Hey... D Danny, what is this? Nate said with a true panic in their voice. What? What's wrong? I replied. Where's my mom? Nate said in a cold, shaky voice. They shot to their feet, and I followed suit, flipping on the light switch. Nate quickly moved to Rachel's bed and tore off the blankets and sheets as if Rachel might have been hiding under the covers. What the fuck? Where could she have gone? Nate panicked. I'm sorry. I, I fell asleep. I just... That doesn't matter right now. It was obviously the anomaly, Nate said quickly. We need to find Rachel right now, Nate shouted and quickly moved to the door. Hold on. We are going to need something to catch the anomaly in, I yelled after them. They stopped for a quick second and waited for me as I pulled the pillow off Rachel's bed and stripped it of its pillowcase. This will work, I said and followed Nate towards the door. Let's go, they said frantically as they threw open the door. They bolted out into the hallway and looked both left and right. Shit! She could be anywhere! Where do we start, dude? The roof! Most of the deaths happened from the roof, and one was on the stairs on the way to the roof. Let's check there first, I said quickly, moving past Nate and heading to the stairs. I was desperate to get to Rachel before it was too late. Great work! Thinking on your toes, Nate said from behind, and we took off running to the stairs. What's going on? I heard a night nurse say behind us. Nothing, just forgot I left the oven on, Nate yelled back. We hit the stairs and bolted up them with great speed. It didn't matter that it was another three floors. My legs moved faster than ever as I, as I almost flew up each step. I slammed through the door and stumbled out onto the roof, almost out of breath. I was half expecting the door to be locked, especially after multiple suicides by jumping. What kind of hospital leaves the roof door just open with no one to monitor it? Unless... But that wasn't something I needed to think about at this moment. Rachel Winters stood at a distance in front of me, slowly edging towards the roof. She moved in an almost dazed zombie walk. Then I saw it, or rather them. 
Three more of those glowing blue butterflies danced in the light not too far from Rachel. I was right. They were our culprit. It seemed like those death butterflies increased negative emotions in order to convince someone into suicide. I was already thinking about giving up when the butterflies came to me, but Rachel had it so much worse. She had been here for so long, in and out of failing health, with no end in sight but death. The cherry on top was that her only child didn't want a single thing to do with her. I could see the angle the deaf butterflies were taking with her, convincing her it was easier to simply end it all right now, rather than continuing on. Nate nearly shoved me out of the way as I stood there trying to figure out what to do next. Rachel! What the fuck are you doing? Nate screamed. Rachel didn't respond. She kept slowly moving forward to the edge of the roof in that same dead zombie walk. Rachel! Don't fucking ignore me! Nate screamed. I continued to watch the butterflies fly gently around the light, ignoring Nate and I in this situation. It seemed like they were focusing all of their energy on Rachel. Hey, you focus on catching those fucking butterflies and I'll stop Rachel, Nate said in an extremely shaky, panic voice. Also, I think we're going to lose that um clean label on iTunes with all the f***s I've been dropping. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think it fits the character and I'm sorry. Just beep them. <laughs> nah, f*** it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jordan's mom. <laughs> right? I got it. Go! I continued to focus on the butterflies. They were floating high up in the air. I would need to jump pretty high with the pillowcase in order to catch them. I was pretty sure I would have to catch them all at once in order to stop Rachel. If one of them got away, it would be bad. But then again, I didn't know how many of these things there were and where they were even coming from. I had to be careful. Get these three and get back to no name for analysis. I hadn't seen or heard any, heard of anything like them before. Butterflies that convinced people to commit suicide. What were we up against? Nate ran up to Rachel and spun her around to look at them. What the hell are you doing up here, Mom? Nate said with tears in their eyes. I'm dying, and I failed, Rachel said in a quiet, dead tone. There is nothing left for me right now. I failed you, and I failed Marcus. What do I have left? You messed up, but that doesn't mean I want you to jump off of a fucking building, Nate said, almost breaking down. They grabbed Rachel and pulled her close. When I'm gone, all the pain I am in will go away. When I'm gone, all of the pain that I cause will go away. Everyone will finally heal, Rachel said. You think that's what I want? We just started to get along, Rach? Nate said. But I'll fail you again. You'll go away, and I'll be alone again, to die slowly on my own, Rachel said and began to struggle in Nate's grasp. I won't just let you die alone. We'll figure something out, okay? Just let me go, Nate. I'm in so much pain. There is no end in sight. If I end it now, at least I'll be free from it. Rachel said, fighting out of Nate's arms. This isn't you! Please stop! Nate said, trying to hold on to Rachel, but Rachel broke from their grasp and this time moved faster towards the ledge. I had to move quickly or things would be all over. No time to hesitate at all. I grabbed the pillowcase in both hands and ran towards the butterflies. It didn't matter if the plan was kind of dumb. It had to happen right this instant. I leaped into the air with both hands high above my head like a basketball player going for a slam dunk. I had never jumped so high before. It was like the adrenaline gave me jet boots. I saw the three glowing blue lights and brought the pillowcase down around them. 
Somehow it worked. I saw the pillowcase glow with the three lights and tried to close the bag off with my hands as I fell to the ground. I had just jumped with no thought of the landing, so I fell hard, scraping my knees against the rough ground as I tried to turn myself as to not crush the butterflies under my weight. There was no good in getting three dead bugs back to no name. The turning didn't help, and I just slammed my shoulder and face into the ground. But it worked. I succeeded in my goal no matter how stupid I looked. I looked up and saw Nate scrambling to get to Rachel, and suddenly, Rachel just fell limp to the ground like a marionette that had its strings cut. Rachel! Nate yelled. Rachel! The second yell turned into a scream as Rachel began to convulse. Nate tried to hold their mom tight as if to try to stop the convulsions. After the loud commotion on the roof, the hospital staff had rushed up to see what was going on. They had sent a nurse back down to get sedatives to help contain Rachel's convulsions. After that, there were multiple more nurses up to help contain Rachel and get her back to her room. Nate's face had drained of all color, and they couldn't help but watch the events unfold, completely stunned, standing in one place. It happened all in a rush, and we followed the night crew and Rachel back to her room. We were not allowed in the room as the staff was trying to get Rachel under control and settled. I never really understood medical stuff, but her vitals weren't looking good, and it seemed as if her health was taking a turn again. Was this all the effect of the butterflies? Dr. Christ was called back to the hospital for a night duty. We didn't get the chance to talk to him as he immediately went into Rachel's room to make sure she would be alright. That's when the flood of questions came from the nurses. Why were we on the roof? What had happened previously to bring Rachel up there? Did we see anyone else around? Question after question came, with barely little time in between to answer all of them. So, we just told the truth. Well, as much as we could without revealing too much about the anomalies. We told them that we had woken up and Rachel was gone. That because of the news stories, we knew to go to the roof. And when we got there, Rachel was in a dazed state. The nurses and the police that were called took our statements and went back to figure out what they could do about the situation. But it seemed like we were in the clear. I had tied off the pillowcase and left it behind a vending machine to not draw any suspicion to the weird glowing bag I was carrying. Nate went to the waiting and lounge room on Rachel's floor to wait until Dr. Chris called them back to the room. I, on the other hand, had to get the anomalies to no name to see what they were and how to stop them. When I made it back to the pillowcase, the butterflies had calmed down and stopped flying. But their wings still glowed, which meant they were still alive. Perfect. I gave no name a call and waited until one of the night shifters at the lab came by to pick up the anomalies and take them back for analysis. They said they could get me results by the morning. Hopefully that wouldn't be too late. Finally, it was time for a breather. I went back up to the third floor lounge of the extended care unit and saw Nate just sitting there on a bench staring at a wall. They didn't move a muscle when I came in and just sat there. They were completely and utterly stunned. Hey, Nate, I said as I sat down next to them, handing them a coffee I picked up earlier. No response. Look, whatever is happening, you are not alone. I'm, I'm right here with you, and we'll figure this out okay we'll find a way to save rachel and stop the anomaly from hurting anyone else it's dumb to say this now but it's all going to be all right still no response 
I'm here for whatever you need, okay? If you want me to talk, I'll talk. If you want me to shut up, I can do that too. Whatever you need, I'm here. I'll sit here with you till the end of time if that's what's necessary, I said, breaking the silence again. This time, they leaned their head on my shoulder and closed their eyes. I... I don't know what I need, they said barely above a whisper. Just don't leave, okay? I need a friend right now. We sat like that for hours in complete silence. I put my arm around Nate as they slept, and this time I stayed completely awake. My mind was flooded with thoughts of what our next steps would be. I knew it wasn't over. I knew there was still more to the anomaly we had just found. But how much more, and who, if anyone, was behind it? The sun rose, and finally in the morning, Dr. Chris came to take Nate to Rachel's room. I had stayed behind as they were only allowing direct family to be there. It was fine, because I needed to catch up on some sleep. It was time for rest now. We would need all the energy possible to continue the hunt. And that's the end of my part 8, Death Butterflies. And again, the arc is now called Death Butterflies. That was really good. I really liked that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to You're say gonna this. You're going to say something real mean. I'm um, real hurt. No, I, almost kind of the opposite. Um, I've tried to write sequences like you did with like the, not, not like a dream sequence, but you know, like the long narration about what, like coming out of something yeah. or working through something in your mind. Yeah. And writing that is really difficult. I struggle with that a lot. Like, I enjoy writing dialogue. I hate writing. And I don't even dislike writing descriptions. But that kind of, like, internal working out something is, like, pacing that and having it read nicely and actually portray a feeling is really difficult to me. So you being able to do that as long as you did, I am impressed by because I probably would have done some kind of lazy shortcut, like have a character there that my character could talk yeah. to, even if it made no sense to do that. But also, I guess the thing that I realized in writing both this and Westington and The Breath and the other stuff we've written for the show, the thing I'm good at is writing inner monologues and also writing fights. <laughs> As you saw from last week's, uh, two weeks ago episode with the fight between Nate and Nate's mom. So... I like writing fights. I love writing fights. And I agree. You're you're really, you're really, that is something you're very good at. Uh, But yeah, definitely inner monologue is something I struggle with. And I think, I don't know what it is. Cause even if I'm writing something that I'm familiar with, like that, it's like a thought process I've gone through. It's still just like, whenever I write it down, it just feels like a list, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's it's weird. I I struggle with it a lot. Maybe I think in lists too much. I don't know. I I mean, maybe like it could be cause like, I mean, I said off camera, but I'll off camera, off mic, but I'll say it again. But like, I kind of write from the heart. Like, so a lot of the things are reflective of things that I've thought before. And like, maybe, maybe it does come from a different way of thinking. And maybe it could also come from, I, I don't know. Maybe it could because like my thoughts form in a certain way when I'm thinking through them. And maybe it's just reflective on yeah. that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know, I, like, I find the way that we structure things fascinating because they're so different, you know, and um, but yeah, it was it was good. I liked I, that was the part that stood out to me is like, oh, that's actually very impressive, which is I guess that's kind of weird because there was like a lot of heavy stuff aside from that. Like there was like some good character moments and good action, but like 
those are things I feel like, oh yeah, like that that's how I would have written that. But the like extended internal monologue, it's like frick, I couldn't have written that. I wouldn't well, have. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really like again, this this is the art that like starting this, this is a thing that like I knew I wanted to write. Like Lambert could have been interchangeable with another anomaly story, but the doppelganger and this yeah. art are exactly why I wanted to write this story because like it it, it does double character thing like there's character moments for nate but also character like the comparison with danny like his whole deal of at the very beginning we had that scene with him like after he got stabbed with the doppelganger he had the same type of inner monologue it's like i should just let go i was like i don't have anything to live for so i'll give up and then we see like the um reverse of it now where it's just like he thinks all those things like no 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 screw that I do have something to live for. I have this friend yeah. that I care about. I have no name. All these like other things don't matter because you make it every day. You 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 figure out a thing every day, and that that that's the that's the kind of message I wanted to do with Danny. Where it's just like, yeah, it's like like depression sucks, and like yeah, some people feel different depression than others, but like really finding something to pull yourself out of with him, and then like. The other thing I wanted to write was like Nate's familial problems, like Nate dealing with a mom that doesn't really accept them. And like, not necessarily, it's not, who knows? I don't know how it's going to end. JK, I do. But who knows? It might not end with the mom accepting, but it is something where you have to figure out and have to find a way of accepting yourself and being okay with the things that are happening. And that that's the kind yeah. of story I wanted to write. Yeah. Like, I like the um backdrop of a fun anomaly like romp and i like the fun like i i like the supernatural the pseudo horror thing this this is like one of my favorite genres and something i love so much but i wanted to do heavy character work like when we said 10 chapters like okay i didn't really get the chance with um the legend of emory or whatever i called it to really do heavy character work like Magda was just good at everything and Samet just followed along. But I wanted it to be a story about characters who have their own issues and figure it out and well try to figure it out because you know it's never going to be perfect in the end, but it's there and that that's the story I've been wanting to write. And I'm glad that I got the chance to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm really I'm really enjoying listening to your story as as you go through it. Well, thank you, Cody. I, I, yeah, this was a good idea. I kind of miss doing random worlds because, like, that was more of the comedy side of the podcast. And this is the side where it's like, I may not have done too convoluted, but this is the side where I definitely did serious. Like, like, yeah, I right. specifically chose the Lambert story because I was going to just do a, like random haunting, but I specifically chose the Lambert story because I thought it was like, you know, goofy goat savior story. But, yeah yeah this is this is what i i wanted to do and i yeah my whole thing is i take myself very seriously and i think this was a way to be able to take myself seriously without the same kind of like self-punishment i do for not exactly filling in exactly what i want like this is i don't know being able to write the story talk about my own depression and like self-deprecation and stuff within characters and being able to do it with um fun monster backdrops and like death butterflies is something i've been wanting to do for a while 
Anywho, sorry yeah. I took way too much time. The <laughs> podcast is over, guys. We're only doing an hour today. Cody, you don't get to read your story. But uh oh, is it? A, have we hit an hour almost. already? Yeah, Ooh, sorry, gosh, I've talked. I sorry, I talked for way too long. Anyways, Cody. No, no, no. You're fine. My my section is actually going to be a little bit shorter. Yeah, you do so, a lot no, more no, dialogue no than I do. I do like very dense paragraphs. <laughs> I yeah hate all paragraphs forever. Um, that's my secret. My secret is I hate paragraphs. Actually, I'm gonna run and use the bathroom. I will be right back. So sorry, just to preface a couple things. Um, one, there's like a point in this where. I say something that I feel is slightly offensive and understand I'm writing from the perspective of a character that's a bad person at a time when he would have been kind of offensive. So just take take that with the context. Does that make sense? You'll you'll know it when I say it. It's not a big deal. It's not like we're going to get canceled. Like, I think we'll be if okay. Get- and if you want me to go back through and change the dialogue, I can. <laughs> um, And then also, like... um. Okay, yeah, so the last time. I'll talk about how I feel about this chapter afterwards, because this is kind of a weird chapter for me that I have mixed feelings on. But, um, so last time, the house is super haunted. Uh, the house has been trying to kill everybody because they're changing things. Um, at this point, the B&B is almost done. But, you know, the group of friends that are there are struggling to finish it. They find a creepy key in a creepy room. Yeah. They go down into a creepy basement um amy falls through the floor and finds a book with a dagger stabbed yeah. in it she touches the yeah. dagger and sorry keep going like passes yeah out. yeah and then uh so that was she like approached by like a creepy voice or something like didn't you also do like there was a creepy voice speaking as she was walking near the book yeah 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 yes correct you got it all right we're starting My mind flickers like a deck of shuffling cards as I lay in the dirty water. I'm still aware of my friends calling to me from high above. I'm aware of the book and the dagger. I'm aware of all of this, and yet I'm not. My mind is reeling with knowledge that is not my own. But slowly, so slowly, I become aware of more than just a blur of newfound knowledge. Images and scenes begin to play in my mind. The water is ice cold and salt burns on open wounds. My on open wounds on my hands and face and feet. Oh, I feel as though I have been on ground against sharp rocks and my body has been left a bloody mess limping through the cold beach, limping through the cold water up the beach. In my shaking hands are a dagger wet with blood uh, that salt can... And a, mm. in, my ha- in my shaking hands are a dagger wet with blood that the salt water cannot wash away, and a book with writing that can never fade. Hark unto me, ye damn god of earth and nature, I spit in the face of thee. I shout up at the brewing storm above me. Hear me, gods, old or new or strange, all ye sought to unmake me in the ocean on my voyage henceforth from the lands of supplicants and knaves. But alas, I remain, and I spit at you, and again ye did try to unmake me with sickness, and I remain, and then again with those savages that haunt this vile land, this dead place, this place bereft of reason, but I perish not, 
For my rod and my staff protect me and mine, not thine, God, whatever fiction you may be. But again, I spit at you. Then lastly, you sought to unmake me with foul witchcraft. You sent practitioners of the black arts to smite me, women with books and blades and magics. Ye sent them on a ship with creatures vile and unclean. But did ye think me ignorant? I knew of these... I knew these witches would come to end my life, and I learned. My legacy shall endure. I shall be the master of death and time. I will make unto myself my own god, the god of reason, the god of all I choose to own. Ulysses Grime shall live. On my knees in the salty water, I plunge the dagger into the book, and my mind splits open. Spectres of the dead boil up surrounding me, not just moving shadows or vague shapes, solid and real, but with black eyes and an ethereal glow. And at the same time, my mind snaps into clarity. Ulysses' mind soundly, mm, suddenly becomes as clear as an organized file cabinet, a file cabinet that I have just took ownership of. Grime owns this land, a walking god, the new messiah. The cards shuffle again. The next place I find myself is a is the library in the Grimes Manor. It looks the same, just less rotten. The carpet is brighter, the wood polished, the books less molding. It is still a miserable looking place to me, but at least it speaks to the wealth that once built the manor. Two men sit in chairs. They both look like me. One is much older, his eyes sagging and wrinkled, but the other looks to be maybe 30. She is not your child. Be that as it may, she is my responsibility, just like you, ungrateful cur that you are. Ungrateful, huh? You know what? You can take the money, you sad old monster, and enjoy this empty house. A woman steps forward. She has my mouth, a big, wide mouth with dramatic lips. Lips that look ready to smile cleverly or laugh. Her hair is short and pale blonde. But most, notably, most noticeably is the large bump under the dress that clearly used to fit a much more slender woman. Honey, we talked about this. You said for Amy's sake we need to try to make things work with Uncle Howard. I know you mean well, Uncle, but we just want the opportunity to let our daughter make up her own mind about family responsibilities. We want her to have friends and a life outside of here. That is not acceptable. She must touch the dagger, she must learn her family legacy, and me- mm. And she must bend the will of the dead to her. You were a fool, Stanley. I sent you away to produce an heir, not to fall in love and to fall into sentiment. Uncle Howard, I know you don't like that I am involved, but I love Stanley. I don't pretend to understand everything, but I have seen enough to know that there is something special here. But it's a lot to put on a child. Di, you don't understand. This is not special. This is a goddamn curse. I was cursed the moment this walking corpse drugged me under this house and up to that book. I can't stop seeing them. They're everywhere. Wherever I go, the dead are there, and I can hardly keep them from killing us. That is because you lack conviction. 
Your barriers are weak. You are a child playing at being a man. Uncle Howard, don't speak to Stanley that way. He is a wonderful man and he will be a great father. And Howard moves faster than a wizened old man should be able to. He slaps Di across the face hard enough that she staggers back into a table, knocking over several glass bottles of of liquor to the floor. I am not your uncle! Now clean up that mess, girl, before- Bastard! Stanley punches Howard in the cheek, knocking the old man to the ground. Keep the money, you devil! You will never see us again! You will never have Amy! She will not have this curse forced on her! The Grimes legacy will die with me and you! The couple, my parents, leave arm in arm, tears in both of their eyes. Howard sits on the- Howard sits on the floor alone. His old face blank, blood welling from his lips. He he reaches up and touches his mouth and winces. He pulls a dagger from his pocket, rubs the blood on the blade. He moves slowly, but without hesitation. He produces a blank piece of paper and stabs the bloody dagger into the page. A specter forms up from the shadows. It's vaguely human, but with sharp teeth and no eyes. And And that same grave light illuminating it. But this specter seems to be almost transparent. The figure stands there totally still. Howard speaks. When the girl is born and raised enough to stand on her own, kill the parents. When Amy is no longer a babe, kill Stanley and die Grimes. Kill them for their sins against their own family. The room melts around me and again the rapid flickering starts starts in my mind and stops on something else. I see my uncle again, now older, and bent in a shabby robe. He is alone in the room that is now being used for skylights. This attic stinks of moldy food and body odor. He sits up there alone. He is scratching in a journal with a quill. A smoky candle is flickering next to him, providing barely enough light to even make the room visible. Instead, it casts shadows all around him. The room is crowded with spectral figures, all staring at my uncle, who seems who seems not to care, as he scratches away in his journal. The trap door opens, and Miles wheezes up the stairs, shaking and more pale and skeletal than usual. He stands there and says nothing, just staring at my uncle, his mouth drawn in a thin line. No greeting for your old friend. I have no friends. I'm alone in this world. I made... Myself a god, and now I am the only one that remains. Just me in this house surrounded by fools. It's not right to call the order fools just because you are our leader. Leader? Nay, I am no leader. I am forever pestered by you sycophants. Hangers on, that is all, nothing more and nothing less. The Order has a proud tradition of arcane research and and supporting your family, a family that has cared for the community, for you are nothing more than spineless observers to my powers, and you know it. This is not you, Howard. We have been friends for years, and I've served your family. Friend! You old fool. Get out! I'm sure I can manage my checkbook on my own. Miles looks as though he might start crying. You know that is not all I do for you, Howard. Now look here, the Order is concerned with these new projects you have cooked up. 
What new project? I have so many. Don't be obtuse, Howard. You've summoned a ghost and you can't get rid of it. Ah, yes. She is a success, isn't she? You have made this house haunted. This house has always been haunted, that's the point. But now she walks around and it's unnatural and... Are you actually so lonely that you have to make this freak of nature? What is nature but an excuse for weakness? The dead have always been my companions. I simply find, I simply find her easier to be around than you. Howard stands up, looming over Miles. Leave this home, cur. Leave. Come on, man. What? Why? Do I miss one letter and it ruins my life? Leave this home, you boot-licking fool. Leave and never come back. And take the order with you. Piss off, Howard. Miles shoves Howard, who crashes down the stairs in a heap. Miles stands there silently, breathing deeply, staring, pale and shaking. Finally, as my mind starts to settle, I have one last vision. There is a reek, a smell like rot, like a rotting fridge. I start to retch, my body convulsing. I feel weak and shaky. My arms rub up against rough wood. I try to move and knock into soft, groaning boards. Soil drops around me and my pulse begins to race. This is not good. This is not good. This is not good. Slowly, the gloom lifts and I see that I am not alone. I am in a tiny wooden box, dripping, dripping soil and stinking of wet earth and rot. In front of me lays a freshly decaying corpse, flesh beginning to fall away, the insects already beginning to feast on the bloodless muscle and skin. I gag again, and the mouth in front of me cracks and begins to move, reeking flesh tearing away, leaving bones exposed, grinding together. Finally, at long last, we meet, dear niece. I scream and keep screaming, trapped in a coffin with a corpse. I scream until I taste blood, until my voice is hoarse. I kick and lash out, which only makes the dirt drop around me faster. Eventually, I'm just laying in the coffin, sobbing and in hysterics. Now, now, dry your tears, dear child. This is only a memory. Just a figment. I can't harm you in here. Dirt cannot touch you. You killed my parents i try to fling my arms at the talking corpse i cannot move in the coffin that i'm currently wedged in this causes my breath to catch and panic to set in again yes 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 i killed your foul hmm. parents your father tainted and cursed by sentiment and love he was disgusting but worry not i forgive you for your parents sin yeah and what did my mother desert hmm. What did my mother do to deserve that? You wanted a child. I wanted a child may be born without love, and I think you know that. What is that supposed to mean? I have watched you, child. I have been the shadow on your wall. I have seen those lonely nights. You have strength. Strength to be alone and not to focus on clinging to lesser fools. You have the strength to not make my mistakes. I am not doing shit for you, old corpse bastard. You killed my parents. Yes, I did. And I won't apologize. But I've also given you a great gift. I've given you this home and my family legacy. 
You are the god of death and timeless knowledge. Don't trouble me with murder. I was murdered by the most pathetic man I've ever met. Yeah, and what does that say about you and your friends? That I should have killed them sooner. My point is that your father, had he developed his skills, could have lived on after his death as I have. But instead, he'll be nothing more than a forgotten corpse. Yeah? Well, let me make this clear. I'm going to get out of this box and back to my body. And I'm going to dig you up in real life. And I'm going to see how well you survive being burnt. And if that doesn't work, I will use my now extensive knowledge to find some way to kill you, Uncle Howard. And then I'm going to forget any family legacy that you could imagine for me. The corf... The corfs. The corpse laughs a wet, tearing laugh. It sounds like ripping vocal cords. You can try, niece. You can try. All right. And that is the end okay, of my Okay. Cody, Cody, Cody. You kill me because yeah. you bring this like strong momentum. And then you're just like, corfs. <laughs> corfs. It's like, Cody, you have this momentum. And you're like, Dude. your story's good, but you have this momentum. And then you just stumbled. I'm like, Cody. <laughs> There are like the sentence that stumbled me, like the last sentence that stumbled me is like, I didn't even uh -huh. write it wrong. I just didn't understand. I just didn't read it with the right inflection. And then I'm like, what was they saying? I got confused. Wait, also, and then it throws me off. Okay. Also, what was the, where are you going? Cody, you're in the, we're in the middle of the show. Okay. What was the, what was I can the still hear you. Yeah, but you need to be able to respond. What was the line that you mm -hmm. thought we would get canceled for? You can we can space this. Oh 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 oh. Uh, the the character yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. The old Ulysses Grimes um re referred to the people that lived in America as savages. But I would say that Ulysses Grimes would refer to those okay. people as savages. Yeah, you're you're, like you're a writing bad a bad person. I don't think that reflects necessarily you as a person. So I don't think it's cancelable. Right, right, but, right. This yeah, is yeah. this is me saying that he was like a terrible yeah, person I mean, we, that we, came we, here we and did horrible yeah. things. Yeah, it's fine. If I feel like if I get scared about it later, I'll let you know. But yeah, no. Um. So yeah. basically, Uncle Howie is the devil. Well, not the devil, but he he's a very bad person. He's the Voldemort of the story. <laughs> um, kind of. Yeah, he's not a he's not a good guy. Yeah, he's so not he a good guy, to, and he's like, like um, still knocking around. His, his ghostly powers to become like an immortal god, basically. And they got pushed out the steps by mm -hmm. um Milo. No, no. What? Miles. God, Miles. You, Miles is I the hate old one. Miles <laughs> I love it, one. but I hate I know. it. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. It was bad. It was a bad choice. I like the name Milo. I think it's a good name, and that's why I picked it. I did not even, and when I did, I didn't even think that it was one letter different than Miles. Um, no, so, yeah. Um, the, this is like kind of subtle, right? But the order that Miles has been talking to Amy about, um, the, Uncle Howard didn't care about that. Okay, at all. yeah, that, that's like that's he kind of what I got when he was like, "Oh yeah, screw you, I can do." He looked down on them and thought they were like. So, so well, what, and it's also what is like the order the exactly? Because I think I might not be making connections in my brain. Like, what do they do? They're like his like fan club. Basically, they don't have any powers themselves. Okay, okay um, so 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 it what it so was a ghost order. It wasn't like a key club or anything. It was like a ghost order that they, they, they like oh yes you guys have these supernatural things going on and we follow you and the spirits and blah, blah. and he was all like ah i must use my powers to become like all powerful type thing my idea for howard is that 
killing his son and his son no it would be his uncle you're you're confusing yourself oh it's her great uncle it's also his uncle right so um his so there's backstory here that i was not explicit about but so howard had a brother who died his brother had a son that stanley who married die and they had and when that scene happened die was pregnant um howard wanted the family to have an heir because it's like a ability that's passed down through the family um so what he did not want stanley to do was fall in love and get married and abandon the family he just wanted his um, just a uh, yeah like you said it like she says in the, well he says in the story he just wants like an emotional person who can like carry on his legacy of power and yeah conquest type thing so yeah i, I mean i got it there was just like small things right. like i didn't necessarily understand what the order like i understood that they were like things but i didn't know if they were like did, oh, if the order so was necessarily howard like, um, just people meeting like they're like the you know the society that like watches over the town or if they actually were into the ghost stuff like he thought they were into the ghost stuff right but not they were not the people that actually yeah, had yeah, any they, power okay. or ability that was the yeah, crime yeah, yeah. That's family what I, I thought okay so yeah it's, it's sorry it makes it i like the story it makes sense it just serves like some little things like maybe because uh, yeah it was it was like intentionally vague and like my idea here is that howard like traditionally this would have been like the secret society that like ulysses grime founded to support his efforts in the paranormal right um with his family being like basically the kings of this society but howard um is alone now he killed his last remaining relatives because they abandoned him and his brother died and he's just done like he doesn't care about any of it anymore he's just so he's like pushing away this uh legacy that he had because he just all feels like it's beneath him now. And to the point where, yeah, his friend pushes him down the stairs and kills him. And he just keeps doing the same thing anyways, despite the fact yeah, that he's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has different goals in mind. So, yeah, yeah no, it's good. I, I do like how you kind of made a supervillain. That was your, your like, supervillain, like, speech at the beginning was really fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, yeah, Ulysses Grimes being, like... Well, and that was like another thing where it was like kind of vague what happened there that like he was on a boat that sunk and then he managed to get himself to shore and then had pneumonia and lived. And then people kept trying to kill him while he was there and he still managed to live. And then a boat of witches came and tried to kill him and he stole their magic stuff and made himself into like a magical person <laughs> just because he refused to die and became like a crazy, like a, like a crazed, like, uh, like uh like yeah. egomaniac i'm gonna i'm going to make yeah. myself a god now so is that the like same um, type of plan that howard like has or is he like not really um kind of different howard is more um so what happened with howard will be a little bit more clear so what happened with howard right is that his last remaining the the last person in the family yeah. aside from howard was stanley he killed stanley um and that just made him spiral off into basically like pushing the boundary because like the Grimes family was not immortal. Um, Ulysses is dead. He kept passing it on. Howard has lost all of his heirs and is not certain that Amy's going to like pick up and start uh-huh. doing what she's supposed to, even though. Oh, so like 
what the family inherits is knowledge. So when Amy touched the dagger, one, her power uh, with the dead became crystallized and also her oh, okay. knowledge. She knows everything that everyone who touched that dagger oh, okay. knows. Okay, sorry. Sorry I'm making you explain your so story. That's, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. It's kind of meant to be subtle. But that was like the thing where she said that like when Ulysses stabbed the book, his own mind became perfectly ordered. Um, and she just inherited that filing cabinet. She inherited everybody's okay. filing cabinet. Um, so now she knows everything that Howard knew. And she knows everything Ulysses knew. And that's how they're able to grow like in that's how they're able to expand their abilities is that anything that one generation learns is automatically stored and given to the next generation, which is how they were able to make like protective statues and um, a house that was kind of like a haven for the dead and yeah, whatever stuff Howard was working on that will become clear later. Um, so that's kind of the ability. That's why it's the, yeah. God of death and yeah. knowledge is that anyways. So yeah, no, I, I, sorry, I made you re-explain your story. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it's happening, but no, I, yeah, fine. sorry I made you like redo the whole thing. Um, other than that, I, I I like where we're going. I'm excited because next episode is episode nine of ten, and that should be the setup. Well, at least for me, it's the setup for the slam dunk. So it's gonna be a little bit. It, I'm looking at it and it's like, oh shoot, I am moving like literally it goes from character conversation to conversation with different characters to conversation with different characters to a little bit of monologue to a conversation and then the setup for the dunk and I'm like, oh god, I am just like everybody. It's literally like, oh yeah, they talk to this person, then this person walks into the room. It's like, oh my god, so much happens. So I'm excited for it, but yeah, it's, mine might be a little clustered. Still got to finish writing it. Mine's, um, I think basically next week for me is like the climax of the story. The 10th chapter is actually going to be falling action. Like it's going to be now what's happening. That's actually going to okay. be its own chapter. <laughs> I'm going to like take the time to have an epilogue of sorts, you know? Um, so next week is actually probably going to be like the the like all all out okay so stuff goes next nuts week is gonna chapter. be the nutso and then you're gonna have an epilogue okay my week is gonna be yeah set up for the nutso nutso is gonna happen for a little bit and then it's gonna be epilogue. my chapter 10 might be a little long <laughs> mm, i think the next two chapters for me are actually gonna be relatively short like they're not gonna be as long as some of the other ones because there isn't really anything else to set up and there's like one there's like a few things that need to pay off and then be explained. But like the epilogue, I'd say epilogue. It's not really an epilogue. It's more just. It's going to be a chapter about what is life like yeah. after the story. That's which I guess kind you just of, you explain know I mean. kind of what exactly like an, an epilogue, epilogue is, but OK. Well, like an epilogue to me. No, is we like, don't have to do this. <laughs> we, we, I don't know. Yeah, we, have, it's not like 10 we don't, years We don't later. have to do this. <laughs> Anyways, Cody, um, now that we're at the end of this and I have. I'm doing good. I'm I'm alive and I'm making it. What are your plugs? Wandering Gamer Network. It's a podcast. You can find it where you find podcasts. We're also on YouTube sometimes and sometimes on Twitch. Sometimes on Twitch. Are you guys streaming anything? Like any games or anything? Zach and Caitlin have been streaming. I think they're streaming Resident Evil and they were streaming like two people falling up a flight of stairs, I think is what the game is called. Two puppets getting killed by nails while on a staircase. Falling down puppets okay, getting murdered. Well, there's two so, of them. Portal with okay, puppets that so get killed. Okay, so my plugs are, you can find me at my other podcast, the Side Characters Podcast, 
everywhere you find this one, Spotify, etc., etc., etc. You can also check out my um, Sunday night streams with my friend Trin as we do um, chaos fiction theater and read really horrible um, fan fiction. As we just read an Evangelion one that was abysmally bad. But then we also read a kind of fun Evangelion one that was like, what if um, Gendo, the father, was actually kind of awesome and like solves all the problems um, in like unconventional ways. Like this, the episode where like the angel like shoots down the light beam of like, like the mental ray that messes up Asuka. He just holds up a mirror and bounces it back. And I think that's hilarious. I thought it was just really funny and really dumb. So you can check out stuff like that. And then um, my other stream, We Belong, which is on Wednesdays where we talk about anime and fun stuff. So yeah, just a lot of stuff going on. And there might be a mild hiatus for some of these things because um, I don't know if we like clearly stated it, but I am going to be moving to a different state soon. Um, so going to be a little bit busy in the next four weeks, starting a new job, starting a new life. It's going to be busy and kind of scary all at the same time. But as long as Cody wants to, the show is going to go on because I love doing the show and I love, um, you know, making stories, making weird worlds. And even if it is a couple of weeks or maybe a month before we get a new episode after the stories, we plan to finish the stories. Even if it is long. Yes. Our plan is to finish the stories, then yeah, take then a, we plan, uh, yeah, like a, a Yeah, to take a hiatus because Cody has some big life stuff coming up, and I also have some big life. So we might do a little hiatus, but even if it's a month or two months, we will be back. The show will go on. But yes, we will plan in, I think, the next two or so weeks to finish the stories. And I think at least my thought was the plan for the last episode is we're actually going to record in person, which is terrifying. I believe yeah, we are. Be yeah, crazy. I think that that will shake out time. Yeah, if we wise. record next week, then yeah, the week we... after will be episode 10. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So that's true. Yeah, I mean, I will be like, so I'm going to the new state next week to do apartment hunting, but I will be like getting back that Thursday night. <laughs> so I'm going to record no matter how tired I am. <laughs> well, no. we, we can talk. Oh, no. This is, this oh, is no. off your gonna, stuff. Are you going to punk out on me? No, okay. no, nothing. Anyways, bad. Nothing guys, bad. this is nothing all fair bad. stuff. I'm sorry that I wasted your time talking about this bullcrap. Well, we shall catch you where on the flip side. Bye. <laughs> somehow worse. Somehow worse. I hate you. Bye. Bye. Worse. Hate you. Bye. 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 Bye.